Welcome to the Real Developer Podcast, where we get into some real conversations about UK land and development with real SME developers, brought to you by Trusted Land. So in this episode, myself and my co-host, Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance, met with Emmanuel Ezekiel of three times accredited real developer, Broadwing Homes. The firm has now delivered 59 residential units as verified by Trusted Land, part of the accreditation process. And Emmanuel has appeared on a number of previous panels at last year's Trusted Land events, including creative deal-making and the joint venture session. Broadwing Homes, which was based in London and set up originally by Ben Keenan and Carl Spencer, Manuel's colleagues, also picked up the Collaboration Award in the 2021 Trusted Land Awards, something we'll hear a little bit more about in this episode in terms of their approach. We also heard some interesting attitudes and approaches to deal-making, including how Broadwing became known as the developer's developer, some other TV appearances, and also how Broadwing fully appreciate, as most of us should do, that it takes only moments to ruin a reputation, that it takes years to build, something that is definitely at the heart of the Real Developer Accreditation. Don't forget, you can check out more information and track record details from all the Real Developers in the quarterly Real Developer Index available at trustedland.co.uk. Make sure you hang out to the end of the episode where my co-host for today, Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance, gives us another timely, interesting insight from the world of debt and equity. Now let's get into this week's episode. And now to introduce your host, Alex Harrington-Griffin. Hi everyone, this is Alex Harrington-Griffin, founder of Trusted Land. I'm joined by co-host Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance. Hello, Andrew. Hi, Alex. And Andrew and I have the pleasure today of interviewing an established member in the Trusted Land community, uh, a real developer three times now, and a good personal friend in the space, Emmanuel Ezekiel from Broadwing Homes. Hello, Emmanuel. Hi, Alex. Hi, Andrew. How are you doing? Yeah, not bad. Good to have you on, Emmanuel. Thank you for having me. Definitely. So I've given the audience a little bit of the factual intro to Broadwing Homes. I think you are a great storyteller, and I'd love to hear a bit more about the story behind the business and how it came about, if you could tell us uh, and the audience a bit more about it. Yeah, so the story uh, goes along the lines like this. I was an investor uh, looking to invest funds, and I went to a presentation a few years ago for Broadwing Homes. They were looking for investors to invest in their particular project. They had a few projects that I was considering. They didn't quite fit my investment criteria, but I gave them a lot of feedback and we started to build a relationship. I had a particular deal that I was looking at an opportunity. I couldn't transact on the deal because I was actually flying out to Thailand. And the communication between the two of us at that point seemed that we started to gel. And uh, shortly after, they asked me to join because of the different skill sets that I, I actually have. But in terms of the background to Broadwing, how the company was set up. It was set up with Ben Keenan and Carl Spencer and one other person at the time. And the name Broadwing is a span of birds. And that was done on the back of Carl Spencer, whose mother died of cancer, and she was very much into birds. So a lot of the projects when they first started were named after birds. So that's how the name Broadwing came about, the broader span of a bird. So that's how it was actually came about in terms of the name. Okay. Amazing. A name with a meaning there. Very much so. Mm. Emmanuel, and, and the kind of approach, I think there has been a very, if I can say, collaborative joint venture type view where you've obviously been involved in different parts of the networking side of Trusted Land and being a real developer. What do you think has given Broadwing that kind of collaborative view of deal making and, and development? 
I think our approach has always been around relationships. Property is always about relationships. And in terms of development, it's probably the hardest out of all the property strategies that you do to, to try and be profitable. So to have an approach where you can be collaborative, one, with all the team around you, but also with the landowner gives you a bit more sort of flexibility to be more competitive and to share part of the risk and the reward. So that's part of our strategy. It's always been that way. And also to help what I call the novice developers that really don't understand the complexities of moving from a simple refurbishment or permitted development into proper development. They're very different animals. And over the last two years, we've certainly seen a lot of unestablished new people that come into the market that have suffered and we're, we're there very much to help them support them. We're known as the developer's developer to help people come out of sticky situations by using very creative ways of looking at a project in terms of, and we call it move the matchsticks, how you move the, the funds around between the beginning, the middle and the end to try and make something more profitable and make it on a win-win scenario. That's very interesting. And it's evident a lot of the deals that we have seen Broadwing be involved in as well that you shared with the community and the land community, especially. So Manuel, yeah. you've kindly shared, and because I think I've been aware of some of the ways you've approached deal making, and as you said it, the developer's developer, which I really like, is a phrase I've never heard before. We asked you to share some of your previous deals, creative deals, with the land representatives we invited actually for the first land forum we've done, we did last year, it was on the London yacht. Can you tell us about some of your favorite deals you've been involved with for Broadwing, given the fact you've probably got quite a few creative examples? Yeah, I've got quite a few that I could rattle off, but I'll talk about one or two. One that's a project that we're about to finish off at the moment. It was a development that we looked at a few years ago. It, again, it was an inexperienced developer that had bought a site with planning permission under PD for six units, which they should have built. They decided to go for an enhanced scheme of nine units, which they obtained. However, the problem with obtaining the nine units was that it had to go from PD to new build because it couldn't be done within the fabric of the building. The problem with that as well, it was on a one-way street in a muse with different nine-party walls. By the time they got the planning and the revised build cost, their debt had increased dramatically and they couldn't have the funds to finish it. So when we stepped in, they owed the bank just under 2.2 million. We agreed to purchase it at 1.325 million and that wasn't a discounted price, that was the right price at the time. But to help the developers, we put them in touch with our debt management arm and we managed to renegotiate the debt much, much lower to help them exit. And in addition to that, we're also helping them on future deals to recoup some of that investment. Okay. That's a um, different way of going about it. Obviously, you've got a few people out of Dodge, I'd imagine, over the last few years. Um, there's obviously a number of different sort of things that you're getting involved in then when it, when it comes to that. So whether it's renegotiating the debt or just simply, I guess, holding the hand of the developer, I guess that sort of has a, well, a number of different skills involved. Um, relationship building with the developer, obviously, it must be quite tough for a developer to say, look, I've, I need help or guidance or I need you to step in and try and help me out with the funder here. Was it always your intention to go in looking at sort of offering that kind of service or is it something that you stumbled into and how do you manage those relationships? That's a really good question. So most of my working life has been around collaboration and previously to being a property developer, I had a very large mortgage company and finance. So finance and looking how you structure deals has always been 
quite important. And the, the biggest problem that every property developer has is when you're dealing with a homeowner or a landowner, they always want the highest possible price. And that's because agents have let them think that their land is worth a lot more. So you have to be able to manage that kind of expectation. And the only way that you can do that is to come from a collaborative way to allow them to feel they're going to get a much better deal overall. So it, it's always been around that basis. Also, with, with a lot of developers, they tend to overpay for the land, yeah. the inexperienced ones. They tend to underestimate the bill cost and they overinflate the GDV. So if you just move those by a couple of percentages points and you're working on a 20% profit on cost, if each one of those just moves by two or three points, it has a massive difference on your project. And there isn't one developer I know that's ever been able to deliver on time and on budget. It just doesn't happen when you come out the ground. No. So you've got to have enough meat on the bone. And that's part of the actual problem for a lot of people. So we try and help them manage that. And we've had the same, you know, we've done the same thing when I first started. I did exactly the same thing because we took as gospel what the agent told us, what the purchase price should be, what the end value is. We went on their figures for what the bill cost might be. So they say good experience comes from bad experience, good judgment comes from bad judgment. So we've cut our teeth, we've learned the hard way, and hopefully we're making better decisions, but we are definitely making better decisions now, <laughs> and we're helping other people do the same. And how do you get involved with these with, with these guys to help them? Is it a referral system, a network of people that you've just sort of accrued over the years, or is do do funders approach you and say, sorry, look, we've got a guy who might be in a bit of trouble here or potentially heading that way? Can you hold the hand or, or how, how do you get these other developers to come work with you? So it's a whole mixture. Because of my financial background and the different projects that I'm involved in, I do have lenders and funders come to me now because they know that we're going to look at it in a different way. Whereas most developers have to have their 20% profit on, on cost, we can structure things in a slightly different way so they don't lose their shirt. Because that's what happens when most developers uh, get into trouble. They don't know how to structure. They don't know how to refinance. And there are many ways of helping them come out the other end. And sometimes it's not them not making money, but it's certainly not losing anywhere near what they would have lost. Yeah, yeah. So that, that, that's one of the, th the things. Uh, also, because of the networks that I'm in associated with, including Trusted Land, I've been lucky enough to be on a couple of different TV programs. And that's built my reputation over time. You know, it takes years to build a reputation, seconds to lose it. So... I've been spending a long time trying to build my reputation in terms of helping people, being collaborative. And, you know, they say success is overnight when you've done 30 years worth of hard work. So that's really where <laughs> yeah. it comes from. Yeah. <laughs> You're definitely noticing us with a few more sound bites. Emmanuel, obviously, we're talking about these creative deal structures you've been involved in. And obviously, as a real developer, one of the things that we want to support you in doing is obviously getting as many of those new opportunities so you can help whether it's landowners, developers, land representatives do more creative deals with Broadwing Homes. So just to run through quickly the Q2 requirements, which is where we are now when recording for Broadwing Homes, obviously, just to let our audience know, this is not a definitive guide. We do ask our real developers to give us some precise requirements in terms of where their sweet spot is. But obviously, firms like Broadwing and others are able to do deals in other areas. But there is a particular interest in Essex, Hertfordshire, Northamptonshire, Kent, North Greater London, and Buckinghamshire at the moment, looking up to land value and land value up to around two and a half million. Obviously, when we're talking about creative deal structures, that may vary as well. But just as a sort of guide from a real developer perspective, 
Ideally, schemes and things that we've seen from you guys between four and 20 units, very happy with full conversion, refurb of existing and new build, and obviously keen to look at uh, family houses, apartments, and mixed-use schemes. And I think one of the things that Broadwing have done very well is, is sort of have an open mind with different kinds of schemes, whether it comes with full consent, outline, mesh development. Obviously, the planning system is a little bit tricky at the moment. In terms of Broadwing's approach to problem solving, and obviously, I think that's pretty much sounds like it's at the heart of the business especially when it comes to other people's challenges. What are some of your own internal approaches to getting over things like the material cost increase at the moment? What are you so particularly proud of in terms of your strategy for overcoming some of the, the big bottlenecks? Well, projects at the moment, it's not just the increase in costs, it's the time it's taking for materials to be delivered. So the way to only manage that at this current time is to forward purchase. That has a significant impact on cash flow. Because if you're forward purchasing, so you have the materials on site when you need it, so the contractor can't say mm-hmm. there's any problems in terms of time or delay, it has quite a significant impact on your cash flow. But that's the only way currently to be able to manage that kind of risk because of lack of supply of materials and labour. Or we're having to order materials from the other side of the country and send a van down and pick it up to get the best possible prices. It's not the same as it used to be. If you needed something, you just pop down to the local store and pick it up. Difference in price was marginal. Mm -hmm. The last 12 months has had a significant difference in prices and impact. And it's affected the contract as well, to be fair. If they're working on a fixed price contract and materials and labor have moved significantly, they're also suffering. So it's not just the developer that's suffering in terms of time delay and increased costs. They're also suffering. So it's been a a difficult time both for developers and for contractors. I think a lot of people don't take that into account that contractors are also suffering on their fixed price contracts because of how the market's been with the delays in materials and the increased cost. And also a lot of the workforce that we did have because of Brexit aren't here anymore. And that's one of the reasons why the prices have increased quite so, so dramatically. Okay. Yeah, that kind of leads into my next question, Emmanuel. It's obviously, aside from raising raising debt or equity to purchase the site, I would imagine you sort of mentioned the cash flow issue. If you buy all your materials up front, what are you guys doing to kind of mitigate the risk of running out of money? Do you have a set structure in place where you get senior debt and then pull in your own equity? Or do you take funding from JV partners, equity partners? How are you set up financially to sort of attack those challenges? So the best way to manage that is obviously cash is king. So by having a senior debt, I prefer equity rather than MES because of the cost, especially if you go over time, it can become very costly. So Mm -hmm. we prefer equity. And if you have cash in reserve, it allows you to fund the cash flow element because that's just a cash flow and you get the funds back. So it's important that you don't become over leveraged, over geared, and you have cash reserves to allow you to do that because not all banks will fund or forward fund it. And we've experienced that certainly on a number of different developments where they haven't been flexible, they haven't been understanding, and there are different lenders on the marketplace. So one of the things when it comes to lending is just don't look at the interest rate. Interest rate is not important if you can't access the funds. Interest rate isn't important if they won't support and help you with your cash flow. So part of the considerations that we do now, we now, although the lenders interview us, we interview the lenders. Yeah. I want to speak to them, find out exactly how their monitoring surveyor works, how they release funds, because you know 
just getting the funds is one part of it. Getting access to it yeah. is key. And that's where a lot of people fall over. They don't understand the difference between getting the funds and getting access to the funds. Yeah, I mean, that's such a huge part of my job, obviously, being a broker. And when we get the smaller developers that are maybe sort of, as you alluded to earlier, making the jump from conversion, heavy conversion into full-on development, and they, they might have a lender relationship already that supported them on those smaller deals, less, less intensive deals, but are just sort of testing the water on what else is out there, trying to guide them through who's a good lender to use, who's flexible, who's going to support them as they take the next step in their sort of professional career, their development career, and, and try and explain to them that the lowest rate isn't always the best rate. Very much so. I won't share on this platform, but I have a whole plethora of lenders that you wouldn't want to work to in the current marketplace because they just haven't been flexible and understanding. Yeah, it's probably one for uh, the next networking event when someone manages to uh, to catch you and get a few minutes of your time. <laughs> Emmanuel, we talked about you know interviewing the lenders. Uh, I think you know giving feedback to the professional community that ultimately you know we need as property developers that we want to work with that want to add value to the business as well. One of the questions we asked a lot, and you attended a lot of the virtual forums by Trusted Land last year, was actually getting the land community to give advice to the real developers. I think one of the things that we've recognised is that it's very much a two-way program, and making sure that the land community, land agents, land sources, even landowners present what they are looking to discuss with a real developer uh, as well as possible is is really important. What's a, a piece of advice that you would like to offer back to the land community listening in terms of how to do great deals with people like Broadwing Homes? The advice I'd like to give is that to be realistic, to manage an owner's expectations, because that's where it starts. So when the agent speaks to a landowner, that's where the first dialogue starts. And if you manage the expectation at the beginning, it makes it much easier for everybody to try and put a deal because we're in business to make money. Everybody's to make money. The landowner wants to get the best price, but the, the risk always sits with the developer. And you're talking typically anywhere from 18 months to three years before you realize it. You're typically talking until 70% of your site is sold before you make any money whatsoever. So there's a huge amount of risk. The agent makes money come what may. The agent will make money on the sale when it's purchased. He'll make money at the back end when it's sold again. So all the risk sits with the developer. So it's just managing that expectation with the landowner. I know they want to make the sale, but if you overinflate it, it just makes it very difficult. And we're fighting against the tide rather than swimming with it. That's what I'd like to say. I think that's really good advice. And if values are overinflated, then a deal can't be done either from a of just a pure completion perspective or a financing perspective, then nobody earns from it as well. There's no progression for the landowner and there's no any potential for the land representative. So really good advice, Emmanuel. And one that certainly I think we uh, anyone in the your peers in the real developer space would would echo as well. Yeah, a final question for you, Emmanuel, before we sign off. What does being a real developer mean to Broadwing Homes? What are the characteristics that you think make up a good professional developer? Well, from Broadwing perspective, one is having the recognition from our peers and having you know a certificate that says that we are we do what we say on the tin first and foremost. And then the other parts of it, in terms of the rest of the industry with the other professionals that we deal with, it's based on the know, like, trust. They need to know you. They need to like you. They need to trust you. That takes time to build. And I think we've shown that consistently over the last few years that you know we do what we say on the tin. We work 
as hard as we can to collaborate with everybody we work with to deliver the project um, as best as we can and to try and make profit for everybody. Yeah. What I've taken from all of, all of this, all of your answers is something which I feel very strongly about is just relationships, King. Yeah. Relationship is in relationships every single day, whoever we're with. So why not have the best possible relationships and try and work on a win-win scenario? Because everything we do every day with everyone is about building relationships. Even when you go to the supermarket and you go to the till, <laughs> you're having a relationship with that person. Just to be nice, just to be polite to them is a simple thing, but people forget to do that. So relationships are everywhere. Yeah. The better your relationships, the better the quality of your life and the better quality of their life. Really like that, Emmanuel. Thank you very much. Andrew, Emmanuel, thank you very much for joining us today. And for our audience perspective, if you want to learn more about firms, real developers with the experience and the creative deal-making structures like Broadwing Homes, go to trusttheband.co.uk, download the latest quarterly Real Developer Index and find out more about Broadwing Homes' track record and what they're looking for. Thank you, gents. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Alex. Thanks, Emmanuel. Great to talk to you. You too. Thank you, Alex. Thanks for having me on as co-host. I'm Andrew Hosford from Pure Structured Finance. And I was very fortunate to be a guest of Alex and the Developers Boardroom Lunch in London a couple of days ago. One of the topics that was floating around the table and sort of discussed in quite a lot of depth was green homes and what we can do as a sort of property community to try and obviously put an emphasis on developing more eco-friendly properties and also how are the funders, the banks, the challenger banks, the properties funds themselves supporting the developers looking to get down to a carbon zero footprint. Off of the back of that, I've been doing a little bit of, of digging into what the banks are doing. I know that some of them are offering a heavily reduced exit fee. I haven't seen too much on reduced actual rate of funding, uh, interest rate of funding, but sounds like that's on its way across Europe, particularly Scandinavian countries. There's a hell of a initiative rate-wise for carbon zero or carbon neutral or as close to as possible property development. And I'm pretty excited to see where this goes going forward something that Pure Structured Finance obviously is very supportive of. And I have done quite a large scheme down on the South Coast. I had green walls inside and it was a very sort of forward thinking development. And yeah, just looking forward to the excitement around this sector and keen to see how the funders react and yeah, all pulled together to get us down to as close to carbon zero as possible. It's Alex Harrington Griffin again. Hope you enjoyed that episode of the Real Developer Podcast. We'll be back next week with a new episode in the meantime, if you want to head to trustedland.co.uk or realdeveloper.co.uk, you can download the quarterly requirements index from dozens of experienced SME firms. And of course, at any point, if you want to discuss with Trusted Land, matching your off-market site to the exact requirements of experienced accredited developers, drop an email to land at trustedland.co.uk. Remember, if you're going to deal in land and development, keep it real.